If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy Hour. Well, hello there. What are you doing here? Oh, uh, me? Well, I'm just uh, one of the co-hosts of the Heretic Happy Hour. Why don't you come on in and pull up a chair, pour yourself a drink? You know, we're going to be talking about something I think you're going to find very fascinating. It's a conspiracy theory series, and this episode especially, we're going to get into some things that I think might shock and surprise you. But let's wait. We'll, we'll get to that in just a moment. My name is Keith Giles, and I am one of the four co-hosts of the very crowded Heritage Copy Hour podcast. Uh, I'm the author of several books, including one that just came out, Jesus Unexpected, uh, Ending the End Times to Become the Second Coming uh, with a Ford by Baxter Kruger. Uh, go grab it at Amazon, and uh, it'll change your life. I promise it'll change your life. It'll never be the same. And I'm joined by my co-hosts, uh, Katie, Derek, and Matt. Uh, introduce yourselves. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Valentine. I'm the author of Sex, Slavery, and Self-Control, and I endorse Keith's book. And it sounds like a conspiracy theory to me, Keith, that you're trying to get everyone to understand the second coming in a new way. And so mm-hmm. maybe we can work that in. I am also really excited to talk about uh, all these conspiracy theories. It's satisfying like a very 15-year-old part of me uh, from my <laughs> adolescence. So I can't wait. Hi, kids. Do you like violence? <laughs> My name is Derek Day. My name is, my name is, and I'm the author of Deconstructing Religion. Sicka, sicka. And, um, Asshole for Hire. That's, that's why we brought you in. <laughs> the professional asshole for hire. Uh, one, one wasn't enough. Um, <laughs> and I'm, and I'm Matt DeStefano. I have, um, I want to tell everyone real quick about, I have a new podcast called Postates Anonymous. And that no. doesn't, no. No, that does no. that does that does not mean I'm leaving the heretic happy hour. No, I'm just no. I'm just oh shut up. I'm just stretching myself thin. Me so uh, I would are, encourage everyone. To, me and Katie are to, <laughs> yeah. You guys have a podcast <laughs> exactly. Everyone, everybody's counting. Everyone has a has a spinoff. So why not me? So uh, go check that out. Excited for another episode uh, in our conspiracy theory series. And I will say this. Katie, you put out a poll in our in our uh, Facebook group. This has made me so happy all day long. Yes, and, it really did. And, and it was, who do you think, before listening to the, to the last episode, who do you think is going to believe in Sasquatch the most? And overwhelmingly, it was me. <laughs> all the way. <laughs> all the way. I believe- like, you, no yeah. one knows me at all. Have you not? I, I, I feel like I, 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 I am not known by any of our listeners. Yeah, I voted for you, by the way. I'm sure you did. And you yeah, were the yeah. only one. I don't want to give a spoiler <laughs> alert, but you're the only one who actually believes in the Sasquatch. And I was like, no, I don't think so. That's great. Yeah, I have my chart ready. So I'm I'm recording all of our votes. So listeners, this is a good opportunity to see how well you know us and predict what we're going to say. Hey, just for the record, I voted like a Russian bot. Oh, my, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Ooh. All right. Well, anyway, Derek, Derek, do you want to tell uh, tell our listeners about this hotline that we have? Yeah, let's go on and talk about the hotline. Listen, if you have questions or comments, or you want to give us a compliment, or you want to cuss us out, you can do that by calling 240-343-7379. Once again, it's 240-343-7379. And we have a voicemail role that 
beautiful heretic footage. Hi, all. Thanks for doing podcast. I love it. I'm Patrick. I'm from Michigan. Go Spartans. Out there to uh, Jamal. I know he's no longer helping host the show. But hey, anyways, anti-Buckeye fan here. Um, anyways, I just wanted to say I just realized in the moment that I am driving through Ohio right now and that I feel alive and didn't realize that I wasn't feeling alive. But after I started listening to the Heretic Happy Hour and listening to everybody's thoughts and opinions and anti-religious information, that I just had an epiphany. I'm starting to feel alive again inside and didn't realize that I wasn't feeling that way. So thanks, guys, Gail, and uh, appreciate you. Keep going. Love you guys. Hmm. The healing power of the Heretic Happy Hour podcast, ladies and gentlemen. You, you heard it here first. We are bringing people back to life. And there's Resurrection, evidence. baby. <laughs> Resurrection. That was so nice. Woo. That was so nice to hear. Yes, that was wonderful. I know. God, that gave me life today. That was good. That resurrected me. That That's like the perfect antidote to like the conspiracy um, anxiety that I, <laughs> that I feel as I research conspiracy theories. Thank you so much for calling in with that. Yeah, thank you very much. That was that was very sweet, and I'm I'm disappointed that Jamal wasn't here to uh, to personally receive your rebuke or your um, <laughs> your cheering for the Spartans. <laughs> we'll pass it along. All right, I feel like we are ready to introduce our amazing, fabulous, wonderful heretic of the week. Should we do it? It's the heretic of the week. Hi, I'm Sarah Mosliner, and I'm the heretic of the week. Hi, Sarah. Sarah, welcome to this episode. We're really excited to have you as the heretic of the week, despite our um, unenthusiastic welcome to you. And tell us a little bit, why in the world would people consider you a heretic? <laughs> what a fun question to think about. And thank you so much, Katie, uh, for having me. Um, you know, at this point in time, I kind of welcome the title of heretic. I think there was a time in my life when I would have felt some shame around it, but now it's a badge I wear proudly. And I think, you know, and people could think of me a heretic for lots of different reasons. Um, you know, when I first went to, uh, to seminary, which is where we met, Katie, um, I was told, you know, be careful what you learn there um, because it might really mess things up for you, which is something that a lot of people get told. Um, and, and so I, I think because I am someone who studies religion as an academic, uh, some people see that as a threat to genuine faith, um, which was very strange for me to encounter because that didn't make any sense to me. <laughs> so um, I'm realizing like this is, I have like at least a three to five pronged answer to this question because there are many reasons I could be thought of as a heretic, right? Um, so you're not afraid of books. I'm not afraid of books. You heretic. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not afraid of books. What about books that are not the Bible? Yes, absolutely. And I think that the Bible 
um, can be read um, like other books. That it is not, while people treat it as special, it is not necessarily, we don't necessarily learn the most about it by treating it as a special document. Um, so yeah, so that's another good one. Um, I know from things, uh, the mean people on the internet, uh, would call me a heretic and they have, um, because someone actually said this when they read my book or at least read about it. Um, I believe the exact quote was, um, I do not see the indwelling of the Holy spirit within her. Wow. Um, and so that was, yeah, that was actually pretty. How do you, how do you see that? It's kind of hard to see that. Isn't right. It? Yes, exactly. Right. <laughs> Spirits are invisible. They, yeah. Yeah. And, but it was, and so this was right when my book came out and there were some responses to it. Um, because I was talking about religion and sexuality together. And I think that is, that's what really makes me a capital H heretic because in the United States, in our like uh, in our culture, we are just so uncomfortable with uh, religion and sexuality being yeah. in the same space, being in the same body, and so which is why whenever we talk about, um, you know, whenever there are cases about uh, same sex marriage, it's always the straight people that are claiming religious freedom because it, it wouldn't even occur to them that LGBTQ people might also be religious and have the right to their, you know, religious uh, beliefs being protected. And so we just, we yeah. have such a strict bifurcation and, and the work I do looking at how these two things interplay just completely destroys that. And, and most recently um, I was, uh, I, I got some attention from some far right folks and they had some things to say. And, and especially when they found out that I studied religion and sexuality, that was all they needed to know, uh, to know that I was, um, not someone that was trustworthy or could be taken seriously. And of course I wear that with a badge of honor. So have you um, have you uh, been accused of uh, pushing people down the slippery slope into like pornography? No, and it's interesting. I have though. Um, I was, and this is interesting because if you're a woman and you're writing about religion and sex, and people are paying attention to you, the internet will tell you exactly how unfuckable you are. <laughs> Um, so that happened to me. Wow. Yes. Yes. I the bell, the bell, ring the bell, ring the bell. It's a roundabout way to a dating app. Yeah. <laughs> Write a book about sex and religion. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, what, what I was told was, and this, these were by some, uh, some responses, uh, from the new Republic folks at the new Republic. Um, someone said, I looked her up. And let me tell you, she couldn't get laid at a drunken sailors convention. Ugh. She's only she's obsessed with sexual purity because her students are are getting more than she is. Oh, oh my god! So did you Whoa, did you yeah. respond no, at all? No, okay, because no, no. I can think of some really choice responses. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 I've written down. <laughs> I mean, hey, 
it, uh, opposing your dominatrix outfit. That <laughs> yeah, <would> right. Do. <laughs> right, right. Call me your Tweety. Um, no, I don't. I don't engage with that. But um, unfortunately, it was small enough um, that it was more. It was more amusing, and of course, their amazing anecdotes. That you know, it was good to just have those kind of things because they do make pretty good stories. Um, and, and I try and tell myself like this, this does show that, that I'm, I'm pushing some buttons. Um, and whether that's because I'm a woman who has some professional status as an academic or because I'm daring to talk about religion and sex together, or because I'm critiquing purity culture, which is something that a lot of people on the right still, um, feel very strongly about, and it's all part of a whole, you know, political conglomeration. Um, uh, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I definitely touched a nerve. So here's a great question. When did you turn the corner from orthodoxy to heresy? Um, when did you take the plunge? All right. So I will tell you, what I now believe at the time, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have said this, but now I believe this was, this was when the edges of the door started to emerge. Um, and, uh, even though it would be a, a few years yet until I would walk through it. So when I was a, um, a very enthusiastic, uh, evangelical teenager, I also felt that God was calling me to be an actor and I would be someone who would use my gifts to spread God's word. And so I got involved in a local Christian theater company that many of my friends were a part of. It was, you know, I come from, you know, rural Pennsylvania. So it was a community theater in a barn, um, but it was a Christian theater company called Sunrise, S-O-N-R-I-S-E. Oh, I could have guessed. Theater. I could have guessed. But go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of vacation Bible school Christians. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we did all the bad Christian musical theater you can imagine. And uh, to this day, I can't deal with any form of musical theater because of it. So oh, wow. not even Wicked or Hamilton. I know. I know. And it's true. It's yes. Um, there are some exceptions, but uh, yeah, it just, oh. so what happened was we had been in one show called let's go to the rock. Um, but, um, this is my sister and I, but then the next show we were in was called high tops. I don't know if you have, have um, ever heard of it, but it was a show I had seen and I just, I was in love with it. It was powerful. It brought people to Jesus. I was like, this is exactly what I want to do. Um, and what I didn't realize was the degree to which how the, my parents were concerned about the time expectation and sort of the theaters, um, expectation of our time. I mean, I was in, I was in high school. Um, and my parents were like, we're not going to drive you an hour, you know, to, uh, and back to this thing. And, uh, and they weren't necessarily. And so they were raising some questions about the time commitment that was being demanded of us. And so my sister and I were actually double cast and I didn't understand why, because these were all conversations that were happening behind my back. 
Um, and so I kind of, I think bore that well, um, and was like, okay, that's fine. You know? And, um, but then I came home from rehearsal one night and my mom tells us that my sister and I have been kicked out of the play. And I had no, I was just like, what is going on? And I guess my parents had been in conversation with the people at the theater, the director, um, and, and saying like, we, you know, it's really important to us that, you know, our, our family time is protected and, and the, dem- the demands you're making are excessive and da, 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 da. And, um, and so, um, the director, I guess, was having a lot of, uh, problems with my parents, which I did not know about. Um, well, in the midst of this, he has a, he, uh, when I go to school the next day and all my friends are there, I went to a Christian school K through 12. So sort of like an extended family reunion, because these are people you've known since. I mean, I have one of my friends from school was someone like, you know, we met like when our, you know, our, our mothers gave birth to us, you know, so, so this was a very family like, um, environment, um, for good or ill. Um, and so I went to school and a friend of mine said, Hey, let me fill you in on what happened. So he told me these things that I still are just, wow. So what he told me was that one night the director, Tim, had a dream and he dreamt that the barn where the theater was, was burning. And, and so he shared this dream with a person who was the, his spiritual director. And at the time being evangelical, I didn't know what a spiritual director was. Now, of course I know I've even had spiritual directors, but at the time it felt like a little like, so I was like, okay, what's that? Um, And so he shared his dream with the spiritual director and the spiritual director said, well, this is, you know, the spirits, the Holy Spirit's way of telling you that if you do not follow the will of the spirit, everything will be taken from you. And so he interpreted that then to mean that my sister and I had to be uh, kicked out of this play. And so we were, he believed that my parents were impeding the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, mind you, my parents, uh, my dad has been a minister, uh, my whole life. Um, some of, you know, very, uh, very devout. Um, they both eventually converted to, um, the Eastern Orthodox church. And now my dad is a priest in that church. Um, so, um, yes. So that was an interesting kind of accusation. Um, then I also hear stories about this same person who's the spiritual director. Um, other, other friends are telling me like, oh, I heard that like she was walking in a trance backwards around the barn and, and like uh, Linda Blair. Yeah, right. Like it was just like, and I was like, whoa, 
what? Like it just kept getting wilder and wilder. And here I was like 16 year old, like with the heart for Jesus thinking she's got some acting chops and everything has just been toppled. Um, now it turns out I don't have acting chops. So that's, I don't feel bad mm-hmm. about that part. Um, but, and, and I actually went on and studied theater in college and worked in theater for a while. Um, but that was really the moment when I saw how manipulative um, evangelical Christianity can be. Like, what she did is not what spiritual directors do if she did interpret this dream. Um, or maybe it was just all the ego of the director. Um, so, um, and I was very gendered too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very gendered to accuse the woman and, and not a woman, but a teenager (laughs) being in this trance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so she was, well, the, it was the, the spiritual director who was an adult that people told me she was, um, she was the one supposedly walking around the barn in a trance and, and had some kind of like was perceived to have some kind of power over like spiritual power that people felt weird about, but I didn't know, but other people said, yeah, you know what? She goes to my church. She's actually pretty legit. Yeah. Um, so I didn't know what to think about her and I never met her. Um, but I knew the director very well. And, you know, I just, yeah, it was. And the thing is like all of my friends were in this play. So socially it was awful. And my parents ended up um, kind of being ostracized as well, because there were other parents that were getting angry at them. And so um, it was, it was pretty devastating for me in that, and of course I had a very, um, a very happy, very safe, very protected childhood. And so this was one of the most formative experiences in my young life, um, which I realized makes, you know, indicates that I have was in fact very protected. Um, and yeah, and so in the, you know, in the middle, in the middle of this, of this, you know, you're, it sounds like you were really entrenched in this evangelical culture within school, family, everything. Mm-hmm. And then your work now is around, you know, purity culture yeah. and, you know, Virgin, Virgin Nation is the name of your book. Mm-hmm. And so were you also entrenched in that purity culture? Like how has that informed yeah. what you do now? So it's interesting because I you know, in the same way that I felt like this calling to like be a mouthpiece for Jesus. There you go. You could go to town with that one. Um, you know, through my theater, I also was like, would love to challenge myself to do bold things. And so I am, I'm, I'm 45. So I'm not in what I call the purity generation. Those are people who kind of were teenagers in the early 2000s. Um, So I'm a little older than that. Um, But I was very much informed by it. I remember seeing, uh, watching Josh McDowell's Why Wait series in Sunday school. And there were, I knew there was someone in my school that had like the Why Wait t-shirt. And so, and this was before True Love Waits and Silver Ring thing, which are the groups I studied. But, and I don't remember 
doing this. Like, I don't remember actually physically sitting down and doing this, but I know because there's evidence when I was, and I must've been a senior in high school. So this would have been the same year that I got kicked out of this, um, theater group. Um, I penned a letter in response to a newspaper article in my local paper that was talking about comprehensive sex education and why it was important and necessary and how teaching abstinence was just not practical. And I took umbrage because that kind of statement made me feel invisible. And, um, and because in my world, that was just the norm. Of course you don't have sex before marriage. And so I wrote a letter to the editor saying just that. Um, and I was full of, you know, my 17 year old righteous evangelical indignation. Um, even though like I had no comprehension of all the different, you know, my, I, I only remember feeling completely invisible. Like, like these people don't even understand that there are those of us that, that is, this is just, you know, what we know to be true and right. Um, but of course this was before the rings, this was before the pledges, and all of that stuff. Um, but it was just an assumed, you know, part of my Christian identity. Yeah, it was definitely an assumed part of mine too. And I, I had the card. I mean, I did have the card and we're of a similar age. And so maybe it was regional, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> maybe it was regional, but it was such a presumed, you know, it was such a presumed thing. And I, I just, there's so much unpacking to do around purity culture, yeah. around assumption, you know, assumptions, are especially around women's sexuality and you know, gendered identity, and uh, absolutely, yeah, it's, it's so damaging. And I, uh, I, I know that so many listeners are going to, I, I, I anticipate that so many listeners are going to yeah. identify with that, yeah, because the the message that so many of us receive is sex is bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad until you get married. And then it's great. And the reality, you know, doesn't always match that that ideal. Right. Yeah. What has become clear. So when I started researching the purity movement, it was 2006 and there was no one who was publicly critiquing the movement. Um, and within the last decade, there has been a groundswell of critique. And at first it started out as people sort of making feminist criticisms and saying, you know, sexual double standard, uh, those kinds of things. And now, you know, people are making connections between purity culture and, you know, hashtag church too, and the problems of sexual assault and covering up sexual assault. Um, And so the... To watch that, um, watch that development over the last decade, um, and especially in the last five years, because in my book came out in 2015, um, has been really remarkable to see. Okay, first of all, it's pretty clear that this purity stuff was really not first and foremost about um, caring for adolescents, because they're grown up now and they are hopping mad, um, about, um, you know, messed up relationships about, um, you know, being even more, um, uh, being even more, uh, open to, uh, staying in abusive relationships and, um, and all sorts of stuff. So it's been, 
um, yeah, so it's been interesting to watch that, but yeah, absolutely. You know, and my, my hope is to sort of bring together people who, um, you know, who are needing to have those conversations and just tell their stories. That's been happening a lot in different places online where people are just saying like, look, this is what happened to me. Um, this is what I learned. This is how it really messed me up. I just, you know, I think about for myself how, you know, I no longer, um, consider myself a Christian, but, um, like the, the dealing with sort of the sexual anxiety of the purity culture, like that hangs on even longer, even after you've said to yourself, I no longer believe this. Um, it's, it's really hard to realize, like, it's, it's okay for me to wear these clothes. It's okay for me to have these conversations and meet these people and, and do these things. Like I'm a grown ass woman, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it's such a powerful message. that's especially tied into women's sense of self. Um, and of course that's, you know, um, and it just did such a, a good job of doubling down on all the sort of misogynist crap, um, that we're fed. Um, and, uh, and especially about like, Oh, you know, boys are sexually voracious. This is their natural, um, you know, they are naturally inclined to be sexually aggressive and take initiative and girls, young women are sexually passive. They are more inclined to protect themselves and, and that to me, like, that's basically a naturalization of rape when you say that, um, because then, uh, you know, for, and so, and why, and some people are arguing now that this is why we don't hold men as accountable because we're like, well, that's just their, you know, that's just their inclination and they can be forgiven for that discretion. But women, it's against their natural inclination, um, any kind of supposed um, sexual impropriety. And therefore, like, there is no path to forgiveness for them, you know, within the evangelical Christian sexual ethic. Um, Yeah, for us, even desire. Right, exactly. Yeah, and even desire then is demonized. Absolutely. Absolutely. Appetites. Yep. And there's a lot of interesting stuff about sort of the need to control women's appetites, whether that's sex or food. Um, and, uh, and of course the, you know, the ideal female body is white, is thin, is, you know, is, um, is sexually attractive, but not necessarily sexually available. Um, and, uh, you know, and especially when you look back at, I think one of the most fascinating parts of the height of the purity culture is all the pop stars that were wearing the purity rings. Um, and so I've, I've written about Britney Spears and sort of, um, and also, um, Jessica Simpson, like they both came out of SBC culture, but then beyond that you have the Jonas brothers. Um, and one thing, so there was a, um, there was an article in, um, Jezebel, about this, which was so fun to be a part of because basically they were looking at how, and I, and I apologize. I'm totally forgetting the name of, 
uh, the journalist. I apologize to you. It's an amazing article. Um, and basically looking at how, what all of these young artists had in common is that they all had contracts with Disney. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, yeah. And they were all wearing purity rings and talking about their purity rings. Yeah. And so, um, and there was in 2000, uh, Disney was very intentional at shifting because right before then had been the SBC threatened a boycott of uh, Disney and ABC because of the Ellen show. Mm-hmm. And so they had to, the, the argument is that Disney had to get back in the good graces of the SBC. Sarah, Harry Potter world has already been taken away from me because of JK. I know. Crazy anti-trans stance. And now you're taking Disneyland I from know, me. I know. I know. No big loss. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I try to be sensitive. Yeah. I mean, right. Yeah. The Harry Potter stuff is, is really difficult, but you also have people like Daniel Radcliffe who are, you know, uh, who are doing the right thing. So I, I don't think all is lost, but yeah, I mean, well, and I think though, the, the, um, you know, the illusion of Disney, the illusion of happiness, right. Tracks so nicely with the illusion of romance. Um, and I think those, they're very similar happiness projects, um, but they're happiness projects that require you to accept, um, a particular understanding of reality and truth. And if you're not willing to, then, you know, you're not going to enjoy the benefits of, uh, of that life. Um, but yeah, so it's interesting. I haven't watched it yet. Um, but I understand that the Jonas brothers talk about their purity rings in their most recent documentary, uh, that they have. Um, and somehow I know that Kevin was the first Jonas brother to take off his purity ring. Um, and I did not know that, but I also didn't know that there was a Jonas brother in Kevin. <laughs> so, um, but yes, so that's, uh, th- so that's some interesting stuff there. I mean, this is all, you know, such a fabrication of, of what is good and pure and will make us happy, um, for other, uh, purposes. And what I argue in my book is that the overall purpose was really about evangelical political Mm. power. That if, that if evangelicals could make the argument that their moral code was necessary for national well-being, like they have solidified their political imports. And now what we're seeing and what scholars in my field are talking about more and more is, is Christian nationalism. And I, and that's is where we're at. Like we're looking at people who identify as evangelical as, you know, having this kind of, um, white Christian nationalist, uh, view, um, of the world. And I think that, um, evangelical purity culture was an effort to create that world and to use, uh, the bodies of evangelical teenagers to embody that. Um, and, you know, Richard Ross, who started True Love Waits, he said that, um, he said that, you know, the world is seeing, or, or the nation is going to see a transformation that's going to be led, or a revival, a spiritual revival led by 
you know, sexually pure teenagers. Yeah. Even when you say like pure, I like, I just shudder a little bit around that. And I think the promises that we, that this culture is asking teens to make. And I think the one that like the, the camp that I was at was that you wouldn't, it's funny to even say it this way now, but you wouldn't have sex below the neck. (laughs) We got married. (laughs) Wait, wait, huh? It's called giving. That's what I thought it was. Yeah, that's where I was going. But, that, but part of that is below the the neck. Uh, well, mean, no, it was, but for that's for women. Uh, men, it's a different standard. Oh, of course, of course. That's yeah. right. That's no right. neck, no neck job for you, Keith. I just. <laughs> Man, I'm just imagining. Well, and I think it was South Park where the kids started having ear. Oh, that's fa- that's Family Guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, Family Guy. Oh, was it? I think it was also okay. Okay, but yes. Um, and uh, that's yeah. So there's all yes. There's all sorts of those kind of stories. Sarah, you mentioned your book. It's um, Virgin Nation, correct? Yes. Um, so where can people pick that up and where can people follow your work and, sure. and find out what you're working on these days? Yeah. So I, and this is a personal thing. I don't judge people, but I am trying hard not to use Amazon anymore. Um, but you can find my book. Um, you can order it. What's the indie? There's an indie book. Um, websites, which I just have started using. Um, but yes, so you can find it. You can order it through um, just about any place you would buy your books, um, preferably an independent bookstore. Um, and I, my current project is called After Purity, uh, stories, of, uh, stories of recovery and resistance among current and former evangelicals. And this is a project I've just started. Um, it's sort of what's taking up all my time right now. But I have a website um, for anyone who's interested um, called afterpurityproject.com. And, um, and it lays out. So anyone who has a story about their experience in purity culture um, or would like to talk to other people um, who've, had, who've come out of it, um, I'm setting up groups for people who want to be in groups for people who just want to do their own thing. They can submit journals. Um, and so all of this is, is explained on the project website afterpurityproject.com. So if, um, listeners are interested, uh, in checking that out, everything you need to know is, is right there. All right. Perfect. So yeah, encourage the listeners to go to that site and check that out. And thank you so much for coming on the show, Sarah. It's been yeah. it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Yes. Yeah, thank you. It's been yeah. awesome. Thank you for helping us be all impure. We appreciate it. Absolutely. <laughs> That's, what, that's what we do. <laughs> wow, Sarah, thank you so much. That was great. Um, great conversation, man. That was, uh, I really like what she was talking about there. And um, where do we find these amazing people? Like we always come up with some amazing guests on the show. I'm, I'm so we found her because uh, I went yeah. to school with her. Oh, that's right. That's how we found that's her. That's right. I'm glad you went to school. <laughs> uh, Sarah's great. I that's it's so wonderful to hear about someone who's really tackling purity culture in this dynamic way, healthy way. I hope lots of listeners who have experienced that can uh, touch base with her, find out more about her work. Yeah, Sarah's going to help some people escape. 
Totally. <laughs> we're helping people escape. We're giving them life and resurrection and healing properties. Yeah. This is beautiful. It, it, it's a stretch, though, to uh, to tie it in with the episode topic today, but we're going to have to make a, a hard left here. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and we're going to have to get into... Keith, I think this is the one <laughs> you've been waiting mm. for since pretty much the advent of this entire show. <laughs> Keith, are you are you wearing a Star Trek outfit right now? No, I'm not wearing anything. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I always record in the nude. Oh, man, <laughs> God bless you, Barrett. My eyes, they burn, they burn. <laughs> yeah, good thing this is on the internet, right? So we're, we're all remote. We don't have to be in the same room together. Well, good thing it's not a video podcast. Yes. Yeah, that would be bad. Yeah, but is the, the mental imagery, mm. Keith. But you know, <laughs> maybe it would improve our ratings. You know, maybe we get more downloads. Well, you know, you never, maybe. You never know. We can we can try it out. Yeah. All right. So we're going to dive into this thing because th- this we, is off. We, we have to. We got to jump This is the it. one. This is the one. It's it's aliens, man. It's aliens. Yeah. Lou, what are you talking about? Okay, and then in some in some way, I think we're also as we're talking about, let's say like the moon landing conspiracy or UFOs or aliens. Yeah, uh, in all this, things space. Yes, all we're things gonna, space. We're going to also at the same time try to sort of make connections between these topics and sort of like deconstruction and spirituality. Well, I don't know. Maybe we'll see if we pull it off. Well, I, I think I think um, in a, in a totally serious note, I think it no matter what we believe about aliens or if we found out that there were other sentient beings on other planets, it certainly would impact a lot of people's view of Jesus, God, spirituality, the whole thing. Right. And I think, I think it would blow apart a lot of, especially fundamentalist conservative evangelicals. If it turns out that there's, that there's aliens. So I've never understood that. Why, why? I mean, people say that all the time, but I, I personally don't really understand why. Why would it do that? Because, like, do are you saying that people that they, they're that like a lot of fundamental Christians honestly believe that we are the only intelligent life in the entire galaxy? That is precisely what they believe. I don't. Yeah, and that. it's and it's also a very the, it's the it's a human centric perspective. So right. I was reflecting on this a little bit in the in the last episode with Sasquatch and um, Harp, but that the idea that we are this like the very center of all of creation, and I don't want to say that I don't think humans are important. I think we're incredibly important and incredibly beloved. But if aliens are um, a, a fact, that also we have to reconcile what what is the cross? You know, what is what is salvation? It brings a lot of things into question. Did Jesus go to other planets? A form of Jesus, and it means humans yeah. aren't the center of the universe. It's very unsettling. Well, it would not listen. The Bible, the Bible is chock full of alien stuff. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I read Eric von Denken's Chariots of the Gods. Blew my mind. I was in this. I was in the sixth grade when I read that. And, you know, Ezekiel's wheel in a wheel, Jacob's ladder. And then you get Jesus post-resurrection. He comes into a locked room. And, and he ascends. Can anybody say transporter boys and girls? And he ascends into heaven. Yeah, he flies up into the sky. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so. After he rode on a dinosaur. Right, of course. Right after that. <laughs> so, I mean, okay. So I, I guess I do understand the implications of. Uh, of it, but it's it to me. It's just more like well, there we, we would have questions. I mean, if, if so, if aliens did 
sort of reveal themselves, land on the White House lawn or whatever, uh, and, and just reveal themselves without a doubt. They are real. They, they are, they've been visiting our planet. And okay. So I can see that that would create questions. We would say, well, well, now we got to ask them, was there any sort of a Jesus type figure in their, uh, you know, in their culture? Um, what do they believe about God? What do they believe about spirituality? I mean, honestly, I would love to have that conversation with uh, an alien uh, life form. You know, I, I would, once we figured out language and, and we could communicate, I would absolutely love to know what their theologies were and what they believed about spirituality and stuff like that. I think it'd be great, but I wouldn't be threatened by it. That's what's weird. Well, you wouldn't be, but you're not a fundamentalist. I'm a heretic. That's, that's keep forgetting that. And I mean, I, I honestly think that if, if they were human in their development, in their evolution, I'm guessing just given the propensity towards scapegoating and violence that there would be Jesus figures in uh, in all the planets mm-hmm. and they would have a so story similar his name might be Ron or something but Ron, like Ron, Ron, like Ron, Ron Christ <laughs> Ron Christ Oh I love it as long as it is an L Ron Christ oh, yeah. that's that's where I got it that's uh, yeah. um but but I bet there'd be a similar story where, you know, I mean, we just were so predictable. Now, that's that's assuming that any alien evolved in the same way we did. I, I That would obviously be speculation. Yeah. yeah. You know what I think the aliens would tell it's us? Interstellar messianism. The aliens would tell us we never need salvation. <laughs> yeah, maybe. If they're more advanced. That we were fine from the beginning. Yeah, they were advanced. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. See, that's what would be fascinating. What if they took a completely different path, right? Because you gotta, you gotta imagine. There's no Augustine on their planet, right? There's no Calvin. On, thank God, I want to go to this God, planet. What if there's someone worse? <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they can have. Yeah, another guy, Chuck. He's worse. Calvinist Maximus. Maybe they have a female-centered um, theology, Ooh. and everything will be yeah, and everything will be um, equal, and there won't be all these weird hierarchies, and they're coming to share that good news with us. I want to we go would, to this planet. Down with like we, we would just kill them. And then we killed them. No, they're we obviously superior it. technology. No, you won't. You're good. <laughs> All right. So do we want to take one of these at a time and uh, just kind of dive into it a little bit and then weigh in on where we think we land on these? So like, let's start with the moon landing. I think that's just a, a, a fascinating one. I think that may be sort of the mother of all conspiracies, probably the very first major conspiracy, uh, I think. Maybe JFK. JFK's assassination came first, didn't it? First. Yeah, so, I don't know when the conspiracy yeah. thought started That's with JFK. But okay, well, we'll get to that later. So the moon landing. Yeah. Let's just say the moon landing. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, so what's the... So the story is that we landed on the moon. <laughs> Americans won the space race, went to the moon. What's the conspiracy? That we... Okay, so I one of the major themes I, th- theories I've heard is that um, we... We essentially faked it because the whole point of the space race was we were in competition with the Soviet Union, and essentially we wanted to bankrupt them. And by the way, that worked. It really did bankrupt the Soviet Union. Um, and we and here's the other thing about it. The Soviet Union was kicking our butt at every stage of the space race until right at the end, when all of a sudden we leapfrog ahead and, and drop three guys on the moon and do a moon landing. But they were the first ones in orbit, first ones to orbit the Earth, humans orbit the Earth, animals to orbit the Earth. Uh, I mean, they did so many things way before we did. They were they were kicking our butt, and then, like I said, all of a sudden, boom, we jump ahead, and now we're we land on the moon before they do, uh, multiple times. Um, and the so the conspiracy is that we faked it um, because we we knew we couldn't actually do it. We, they were beating us, 
Uh, and the additional sort of detail that I've heard, I don't know if this is whatever, this is just another part I've heard, that Stanley Kubrick, the film director, because he had directed 2001 A Space Odyssey a few years before this, was brought in to to fake the film, the footage of the moon landing to make it appear as real as possible. 2001 Space Odyssey is older than the moon landing? I believe so. I did not know that. Yep. Good, good movie. But you had to drag Stanley Kubrick in. Well, this. I'm sorry. I just, I'm just, I'm just the messenger. I'm He's like the messenger. David Lynch of the sixties. Yeah. I can see why I can see why he gets dragged into conspiracy theory completely. So some of the, some of the details that I've seen people bring up around um, why they believe that the, um, the landing was faked was the main one was a, the flag flies and people rightly point out there's not really atmosphere on the moon. So a flag wouldn't fly. There'd be no wind. And then there's some answers to that that NASA has given out. But that was one. There's like a reflection that looks like a halo light in someone's mask. Mm -hmm. Um, People comment that there's no crater where the capsule landed. And then, oh, and the the background that no matter how far close the astronauts get from the mountains in the background, they always look like they're in the same space. So Mm -hmm. NASA's answered all of these, but um, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm kind of curious can I say there's a couple yeah. more? Can I say there's a couple oh, more? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so a few other parts, sort of quote-unquote evidence, or at least things that are curious are, there are faked photographs, and this has been proven. You can, if you Google it, if you don't already know about it. Um, there's one of the missions, I think one of the first missions where um, they did a, uh, a moonwalk, not a moonwalk, but a spacewalk, where the guy, the astronaut left the capsule and walked around in space and came back. The photograph that NASA released of him doing the um the spacewalk is exactly the same photograph of the same exact guy uh in his training which was underwater and if you compare that photograph of him underwater and you flip it you seriously just flip it it's the same exact photograph um so that's that's one thing there's there's some photographic um official photographs from nasa that have some problems with them so that's that's one and then the other one is and i was talking about this before we hit record there's no there's no noticeable or any delay really between mission control in Houston and astronauts on the freaking moon using you know 1960s radio technology and th- the reason why that's significant is if you just watch a normal news broadcast and you have like you know the anchor man is in um, like ABC News the anchor man is in uh, let's say New York City and he's talking to a correspondent in Florida we have digital technology, we have microwave technology, we've got you know cell phone technology, and, they, and they're talking live to this person uh, a few you know hundred miles away, and they go, "Hi, Bob," and then there's like a 10 second delay before the person responds. And yet, when you go back and listen to the moon landing footage of the very first landing, um, there's no lag, there's no delay between um, mission control and the astronauts responding. That is weird. I mean, if somebody can prove me wrong on that. I want to hear it because I, I wonder, I wonder if it was actually delayed when it was live and that for the sake of, you know, ease of listening yes. that they edited. That could be. And if so, though, I want someone to tell me that just please show me that that's what they did or, you know what I mean? I would love to know that and hear that. And then I could put that one to rest. That would be great. But you know, there's, there's, I was just looking at some photos. There are photos of equipment that was left on the moon in, including the, the lunar rover, you know, the little car that yeah, they drove yeah. around. 
the the uh, the descent stage from the lunar lander. There's all kinds of stuff there, and there are even tracks from the from the from the lunar rover still on the moon. Obviously, because there's no wind. So there's in this is my opinion that there in order for them to have faked this and for everyone to have been you know completely down with it. It, it it would just take. I, I read somewhere that it takes over. It would take over four hundred and sixty thousand people sworn to secrecy mm. to make it work as a conspiracy. Yes. Yeah, and that's that. That's where I'm at. That that was going to be my my question is how many people would it take? And you just answered it. Four hundred sixty thousand people, and I'm like, damn, that's a lot of people to to be quiet. Um, with 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 regards to the fake photos. My my personal opinion, not that you asked, but, but <laughs> well, my well, personal opinion. even Sasquatch. So we're, go we're ahead. Asking. We want this. What this is all about? <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, my personal opinion is that they probably did fake photos just in case they didn't get there because it was like a puffing out your chest. Who's going to win this race? Exactly. And there's no damn way we're going to lose. So we got to cover our ass and you know make sure we got some fake photos to show that we made it there. I do, however, think we did make it there, even though there are some fake photos. That's and that's and yeah. you know you know what's the main reason why I think that we went there, Buzz Aldrin, because there was some you know dipshit reporter that got in Buzz's grill and said, "Hey, what can tell us about the fake moon landing?" And Buzz got really, I mean, Buzz punched this dude. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> this was like, you know, 60 something year old Buzz Aldrin at the time, you know, and he just totally floored this dude. Well, it's because the guy was you know, going to blow his cover and he, you know, then he would be in trouble. So that's why he <laughs> yeah, had to. You yeah. know what? I, I, I think that, that if, <laughs> if people were worried about their cover being blown, I think the reaction would be a little bit different. I mean, Buzz was reacting like a guy that really had, he had accomplished something and, and, right. and this guy was attacking it. So people who believe that the moon landing was a cons- is a conspiracy, what's the motivation around that? Um, this is what I'm kind of curious to explore. Some of it is people who don't want to sort of buy into American exceptionalism and kind of want to critique, go- kind of critique government, maybe propaganda around exceptionalism, especially in the 60s uh, when, when the moon landing, I also believe, happened. But what's the like? What's the benefit in that? And in, in buying into the conspiracy theory or propagating the conspiracy theory? Uh, to me, it's everybody also everybody likes to. Oh, go ahead. No, I say everybody likes to believe that they have some privileged information. Yeah, you know, it it it's it's sort of a it, it's a source of pride. That's and I'm not gonna. I was gonna say something, but I'm getting into another episode. I don't <laughs> want to do that. But but basically, this, the the whole conspiracy theory mindset feeds into this i know something you don't right yeah so that privilege sort of position of privilege of knowledge and uh, there's also something to me where it's like human i believe humans are incredibly creative we're incredibly ingenious um, that can be used for a lot of destruction but it can be used for really cool things like getting us to the flipping moon and we happen to be recording this episode on a full moon uh, day Ooh. and I love I I, uh, I I follow the rhythm of the moon and I have like new moon and full moon things that I do because I do think the moon the energy of the moon affects affects us my woo woo metaphysical side but that seems not coincidental to me that this is the date that we chose. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> exactly, exactly. But to me, it's also it, the the sort of continuous denial that humans can do really cool things like go to the moon or build really cool buildings or whatever it is, is it's, it feels like self-defeating as humans. It feels like we're hating ourselves when we don't believe that humans actually have the capability of working together and doing this. Yeah. Now, I think, yeah, yeah, I think that's where, that's where a lot of conspiracies go. They, 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 they kind of like don't have any faith in humanity that we're just all conspiring to do horrible shit. Um, instead of, I mean, and we do that, we do that, but I just think conspiracies take us down that route where there's like zero faith in humanity. You know, there's, there's one other thing too, that I think fuels the whole conspiracy thing is the involvement of former Nazi scientists in the space program. Mm. The whole Operation Paperclip yep. situation lends itself yeah. to, to conspiracy theories. You know, because, you know, why not? I mean, the, the, these are Nazis for Christ's sake. Why, why would we give anybody any credibility for, uh, for doing this? The Nazis, they're liars anyway. Okay. There you go. So former Nazis were given like clemency and then hired by NASA. Yes, yep. that sucks. It's, it's a whole slew well, of yeah. Basically, yeah. The, the after World War II, the the uh, the, the the United States and the and Russia basically split the Russian rocketeers. Neither of the neither the United States nor Russia would have advanced their space program at the rate that they did without the Nazi scientists. And that's a fact. Yeah, Warner. That's not yeah, Warner, right. Warner von Braun uh, was part of that, yep. and uh, but he was also part of the uh, atomic energy, atomic weapons program as well. Yep. So yeah, but nobody believes that nobody believes that nuclear weapons are a conspiracy. No, I believe so. in that. I right. Believe yeah. that. So if you all had the chance to go to the moon, would you? Hell yeah! Not really. There's nothing there. What would I do there? It's boring. <laughs> Leave your tracks. I- uh, I'm kind of I'm kind of afraid of heights, so I don't know if I would. Well, I'm scared of heights too. I wonder if I could take enough medication to get over that for the ride and then <laughs> make it there. I got I got I got some good shit for you. Did, did, did you guys watch any of the footage from um, the the SpaceX launch of the of the two astronauts? Yeah, to the space station. Yeah, I saw that. And 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 this was really really cool because the um, the the captain of that flight. He not only commanded this flight, but he also commanded the very last shuttle mission. So this guy had a frame of reference between old tech and new tech. And, and he said this was just, it was light years different. So I, I really believe that not only have we gone to the moon, but I think that when a lot of the scientists that were involved in the Apollo program, when they started dying off, we lost a lot of that knowledge. Well, now we're getting some of it back. And I really think that it's, I mean, if you want to make a case for manifest destiny, <laughs> for fuck's sake, it's going to space. That's, <laughs> let's go. California has already been dis- uh, discovered. I'm putting that in air quotes. So the moon is next. Yeah. You know, there's an episode of Bonanza 2 that, that was so <laughs> awesome. They're, they're riding from Nevada to, uh, to California and Haas says, or the, the the rider of the stagecoach says, "Yeah, walk, we're we're coming into California," and Haas looks at it. He says, "Don't think that's ever going to amount to much." <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, and people probably said the same thing about the moon. But hell yeah, if I could if I could get in a rocket and go anywhere, and and this is the other thing too. Neil deGrasse Tyson said, 
that we think that going to the space station is a big deal. He said to an astrophysicist, that's just a ride around the block. Come on, let's get bold and go yeah, somewhere. Yeah, you're just going outside your house and riding your bicycle. Yeah, exactly. So I, um, in, in thinking about these conspiracy theories, I actually had a dream about like the flag on the on the moon. So it's gotten into my head, y'all. So I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to think at the end of this series. I might be a wreck of conspiracy well, theories. Where's the, what, what, what's the scorecard at now? Are we, uh, you're, you're. Well, I have you firmly down as no for conspiracy theory. Keith, I believe I heard you say we landed on the moon. I said we well, landed. Hold no, on, hold no, on now. No, oh. no, 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 no. Hold on. Oh, I, I'm, I'm open to the possibility that we did fake it. Okay. So. I'm not saying that we did. I'm not saying that we didn't. I'm just saying, it. If I found out that we did, it would not surprise. Okay, me. Derek. We definitely went. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and and. Uh, and I want to go again. And, and Katie, what was you? What were you? I think, you said yeah. Yeah, we la- we landed on it. I, w- I was very satisfied by all of NASA's responses. And okay. if 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 there's any branch of the government that I have more faith in than the others, is it's NASA. Yeah. Except for the Nazis, that's yeah. kind of that diminished them. Yeah, but that was the Department of Defense that that had Operation Paperclip. Yeah. Not uh, NASA was sort of a new development. Yeah, because yeah. they really did with the rocket technology because they were working on yep. V two rockets and stuff. All right, that sums that up. Let's. Uh, we we have solved this. We've yeah. solved that one. Let's let's shift a little well, bit of gears here. Um, so far, Keith's in the lead, definitely as our. <laughs> definitely as our. I'm the conspiracy, conspiracy theory guy. <laughs> But uh, let's see. Enjoy <laughs> Thanks, Barrett. Thank and, and I have a feeling he's going to put another uh, notch on, on the conspiracy when we get into aliens. <laughs> Are we going there now? Should we just go uh, there? We, I think we need to go there now. Okay. So um, if you don't know, I don't know how you would not know. But uh, yeah, part of the aliens thing is that, um, yeah, there was, you know, well, where do we begin? I think in America, of course, it begins with Roswell, that there was uh, supposedly a craft that was shot down or crashed from where the other landed in Roswell, New Mexico. There was a headline the day it crashed saying, flying saucer crashes, uh, UFO crashes, blah, blah, blah. And uh, But then the next day, uh, the Air Force says, oh, no, no, just kidding. It was a weather balloon. But of course, the, the fact that they reported it as a UFO, uh, whether it was or not, of course, and then change their mind. That sort of absolutely created this idea that, well, wait a minute. Why did they change their mind? Why did they first say it was? And then they say it wasn't. And now people are coming forward saying, well, I was there. I saw the craft. I saw bodies. You know, we have a spaceship uh, on and on. So mm-hmm. that's part of how I think it began. But of course, people see things in the sky and have been for hundreds of years. If you really want to go back to other cultures, you know, literally thousands of years, other cultures have seen things in the sky they couldn't explain. And and even said that aliens visited them or whatever. So it's kind of got a long, um, a long tail, if you will, I guess. But um, and then of course, then you have people that claim that they were abducted by aliens. They have you know some stories that uh, of being you know they either see the craft or the alien comes in their house and or they get abducted somehow and things are implanted in their bodies and blah 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 blah. So um, so there you go. I mean, I guess that's basically it. I, I personally would rather split some of these things into separate categories, like, like the crafts that we're seeing that people are seeing that are flying around and doing impossible things. For example, like the Navy releasing this footage, declassifying footage of uh, several encounters recently that defy explanation that they themselves say, we do not know what these things are. Um, So that, so the craft is one thing. 
and then there's different different questions for me anyway on what we say about the craft. But then there's then the the fact of aliens, um, either a yes they exist or they don't exist, but b if they do exist, are they really coming to Earth? And if so, why? Um, and are yeah, they- like I can believe aliens exist without believing exactly. in a governmental conspiracy to cover them, yeah. cover up their existence. Of course, sure. yes, of course, right? Yeah. Yes. So the conspiracy then is what is the conspiracy that the government is hiding facts about aliens or covering up their existence or classifying them? Or I'm sure there's multiple conspiracy theories. There are many, yes. And so um, one of them yeah. is this is I'll just th- float one out that I think is one one of many possible theories, right? This is why I, I say I kind of want to focus in on the craft and the technology, the sort of anti-gravity technology in these craft. Um, I kind of, um, I, I, let's just, again, would say I'm open to the possibility that, that we actually came up with this technology, um, that our own scientists discovered how to create zero-point energy uh, anti-gravity technology. And yet we wanted to keep it secret. We did not want this to be something that was available to the to the general public. And we also saw it as a strategic advantage against um, you know national enemies and stuff, foreign foreign powers. And so, as a way of keeping it hidden, I believe an alien thing was invented to like, oh, you saw something flying in the sky doing something crazy. Oh, yeah, you're you're cuckoo. You're crazy. You're seeing little green men. You know, no, don't believe him. So, in other words, I I feel like it's possible that. The technology is our technology. We want to keep it hidden. And one of the ways we keep it hidden is by kind of burying all of those stories in this woo-woo alien, you know, visitors from outer space, little green men thing to discredit people who legitimately are seeing craft um, that we don't want anyone to know we actually have. That's one possible theory. Of course, other theories are that they really are aliens. Uh, some other theories are that they we um, they are aliens. We have either found the craft or or shot them down or something like that. A guy named Bob Lazar, um, who was an, I think is the most credible person. Uh, he's been talking about this since the 80s, yep. I believe. Um, his story has never changed. He has paid a huge price. He's very consistent. He's consistent. Things he, has, he said back in the 80s have recently been proven absolutely true. Um, and so I, I think it's possible. What he says is that he was an engineer in area 51 he worked on reverse engineering craft um that he was told were alien craft um but so maybe they were maybe they were uh we'll see so are you guys familiar with the nazi bell nazis again i'm digging up That's those damn nazis, nazis again. what's up it all goes back to the nazis yeah. i love it that we can still scapegoat nazis for well, well listen yeah. the the nazis they they were they were experiencing or they were experimenting with some really advanced shit. Yeah, they were. Okay. And and this and this Nazi bell was was supposedly something that could either do some hyper speed travel or even time travel. I mean, it, the, there there's a wide, you know, spectrum of speculation on that. But suppose that some of this stuff was just uh captured Nazi technology that was that they were trying to right. figure out. But but me myself, I believe that God is vast, and and He's way more vast than we even can wrap our little peanut brains around. Just speak for yourself. And so if he's <laughs> if he's really that vast, or she's really that vast, then surely when she was creating shit, that she created things all over the place. There 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 are probably all kinds of sentient beings scattered throughout the universe, and. And I don't know if you guys ever watched the movie First Contact, Star Trek. 
and, oh, and they yeah, say everyone has, of Matt? course. Matt? No. <laughs> I don't want that shit. Well, the, 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 premise, the premise of it is that Efren Cochran developed this uh, warp drive. And when he flew this ship, it gave off a signature that the Vulcans, who were just kind of observing us from afar, they saw it and they said, okay, these guys have arrived. Mm, yep. They, they've kind of figured it out. And so I'm thinking that all of these sightings began following our nuclear explosion test. That's true. And, and once that happened, that sent up a signal to people or beings that were watching us from afar and said, okay, these guys are on the verge of fucking it up. Yep. Time to go in. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I think. So I have uh, no problem believe. Like, I mean, I definitely, I believe in aliens sounds funny. It sounds like it's a theology. It's not. Um, do I believe that aliens exist? Yeah. I mean, the universe is a really, really big, is a really, really big place. And I, I can share a story um, too for the, um, for our after party for the Patreon crowd uh, as well about some of my experiences around that. But I like, wait, 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 yeah. wait, wait, were you, were you abducted? No. Oh, did you see something? So I, no. Cause I'm not, I don't, I don't think there's a conspiracy about them. Mm-hmm. If there is like the aliens who are smart enough to make it all the way to earth and some kind of hypers faster than light, whatever. Um, they're too smart to get captured. Of course. They're not being captured. They're not being captured in the middle of nowhere in New Mexico. No, I agree. And I went to the Roswell Museum once when I drove through. Worst museum ever. I'm sorry, Roswell Museum. It's this hokey little museum. And all the all the um like things that you're supposed to read about the the artifacts in there, they're all 12, 12 point font. You have to get really close. Only one person can read them at a time. And so not not a lot there. It's fun, fun, uh, fun drive through though. I encourage everyone to do it if you have the chance. Yeah. Well, you know, we we have this VTOL technology, vertical takeoff and yeah, landing, yeah. like Harriers and F thirty fives, that planes that can take off vertically. And and here's the thing that when these planes are in flight and they're they're flying in horizontal level flight, they they have a certain superiority over other platforms, but they're vulnerable mm-hmm. when they go into VTOL mode, when when they when they have to. Uh, you know, hover or land vertically. That's when they're vulnerable. You can hit them then because they're they're moving slow. And and so when I'm thinking about the the whole alien thing in and Roswell, whether we were able to shoot anything down or not, I would say that if something were interstellar and it had to somehow, uh, I don't know, transform its 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 uh, power plant to operate in this atmosphere that maybe that would present a vulnerability. But I'm an engineer. So like, that's you, why you dropped a lot of fancy words there, Derek. No matter how good the technology is, I mean, it's, it's, it's likely that no, nothing's right. perfect. So there is, a, there is a chance if they're out there and they have visited us that they, they could crash or, or something mm-hmm. could happen um, regarding that. I, I personally, I don't know, I'm pretty agnostic on, on this stuff. I, I do think Lazar is fairly credible. Um, I think a lot of people who have abduction stories, you know, people are like, oh, well, why would someone lie? Well, because people are liars. I don't, I mean, a lot of people bullshit, but I don't, I don't necessarily think Bob Lazar is. Um, so I think there, there could be something to this whole, this whole thing. Um, but again, it's like, how many people would have to be really silent about it in order to keep it on the down low? And I know not everyone is like people like Lazar, but. I don't know. This is one well, of those tricky I, ones because I do believe I do believe aliens exist, but at the same time, I'm not sure. Um, 
whether we're covering up the technology. So let me just say something about your question. I think that's a good question to ask, especially in this case. Um, You know, we asked it in the previous situation, how many people would have to cover it up? And, um, and, you know, and I get that for the NASA thing, but when it comes to Lazar with this alien UFO thing, um, I think Lazar is a great example also of this is what happens to you when you talk because he did talk in the eighties. And again, he's, is the most credible person I've ever heard. Um, but they destroyed him. They have made his life a living hell. Uh, they tried to erase his um, his degrees from MIT. MIT says they never heard of him, even though he had graduated from there. He has multiple engineering degrees. They slandered him. They, I mean, he went through so much. So, like in other words, someone like Lazar stands as a massive example for people that are maybe thinking about talking about their the reason why the motivation for them never to talk because they can see what will happen to them if they do. And so, I think. Um, I get the, I, I do get the whole idea of like, well, you know, someone's going to talk. And again, people have talked, there have been people who have come forward, but, um, but again, there's a big yeah. price to pay for those who do cross that line. Well, and based on Lazar's own testimonies, their own knowledge about the program was yes. very niche. So, so he was, you know, focused on one particular thing and he didn't even, um, you know, this is from his testimony didn't know like no, the meta exactly. of the whole right, yeah, thing. Yeah, like, it was very, and, and so same with, same with exactly. all the different engineers in that department didn't know what exactly. the other was doing. So I got a theory um, in relating this to yeah, to the religious process, to the deconstruction process, to the reconstruction process. A lot of the stories about aliens, not necessarily about conspiracy, but a lot of the stories about aliens follow a template that I believe we actually find in scripture. And it's an apocalyptic Template. Bible isn't real. I know, right? <laughs> I have a degree that says it is. And so my <laughs> I worked for a long time on a document that's not real then, but whatever. Um, Take it up with me. Met- exactly. Metaphysical story for another day. But at any rate, the it follow these a lot of these stories follow a template where there's an oppressive something, government, force, and it gets externalized as a religious entity or as a supernatural supernatural entity is a better word yeah mm-hmm. and then that supernatural entity is um plaguing people it's uh, abducting people it's taking them they're having these otherworldly visions like an apocalyptic story and those visions are telling them how they can overcome the oppression and the visions are telling them that they are um, that oppression will be worthwhile um, in the long run and that they'll be able to overcome it. And there's all those fantastical creatures and, and, and whatever. So I, we see that mirror today in very evangelical culture where evangelical culture sees themselves as the oppressed one, even though they're in the majority. And part of that is like the government or conspiracy. So then you get the subgroup of a subgroup of a subgroup who believes that they are constantly being oppressed. And instead of having Ezekiel's wheels, instead of having like John's vision or or Daniel's vision, it becomes aliens. Mm -hmm. And we can even see this in the Scientology mythology that's developed, you know, in the past 40 years. Um, Their story is one of galactic oppression. And like they're the inheritors of this knowledge. And so the more oppressed someone feels, the more fantastical the visions get. 
And so, you know, for me, I hear, I get a lot of questions a lot of the time. And I want to say this with deep respect for the people who are asking me the questions. They're like, well, could such and such in the Bible really be a spaceship that no one knew how to describe? Well, no, I don't think so. Humans are really ingenious. Um, These aren't predicting. People are imagining external forces who are oppressing them. So that is my link. between What what, what about Ezekiel's wheel and a wheel? I think the wheel and a wheel, it's a vision. I mean, it's, I'm putting vision in quote, but the people are being oppressed. They they perceive themselves at least as being oppressive, having their land taken away and being in Babylon. And this is literally putting God on wheels. Let's put God on wheels so we can get the hell back to Jerusalem. (laughs) You do this in the most fantastical way possible. A wheel, a wheel in the sky. Yeah. It's not a wheel. No, because God is up in the sky. Right. So God's chariot is riding okay. in the sky back to Jerusalem. Hey, are you guys familiar with this painting? It's called The Annunciation with St. Amidius. Yes. Uh, that, that, that one is, you know, you have Mary. She's praying in a room. And it looks like there's this laser beam coming from the sky and landing on her. And the premise is that this is the, the Holy Spirit impregnating her. Yeah, isn't that weird? Like in a laser? Yeah. Yeah, you should look it up. You should look it up. Oh, oh, I will look it up. But I'm like, I'm completely comfortable that we've been ingenious enough and that our imaginations can accommodate these visions without them being without them being aliens. Because I don't because the Bible is not literal for me. No, of course. I think we're all. Yeah. Here's the thing. I think that the, the Bible explains things at the level that someone in that period would understand it. But if you were to take the same situation and apply it to a 21st century person, you would get a completely different interpretation. And that's why, you know, when, when I've said this before, and I know I, it, I've taken a lot of flack for this, but I believe that theology is the one branch of study that really hasn't advanced since the Dark Ages. And, and this, is, this is one of those reasons, because if you were to look at the wheel in a wheel, or you look at Jacob's ladder, or any, any number of things, okay, is this. You know, is this really what it says in the in the book, or is it something that that somebody tried to explain at their level of understanding? Sure. And could we get could we possibly get a different understanding if we take a modern interpretation of the same event? Yeah, I think we definitely. Yeah, no, I'm I think saying. we definitely could, but I don't believe that Ezekiel saw a wheel in a wheel. I believe Ezekiel uh, Ezekiel is using an imaginative concept to describe getting the people back home and that God is leading the way. Yeah. But you know, then too, Ezekiel was a guy that baked cakes, you know, that were fueled by oven that he fueled with his own shit. So necessity is mother of invention. Yeah. Yeah. So, Hey, can I, can I bring us back to aliens real quick? There's just something I wanted to. Oh my God. Who the hell cares? It's the whole point of this episode. Okay. Um, so I, I just heard this theory recently and I think it's really compelling. So, you know, the, um, Again, this is an assumption. If they, if if people are seeing uh, aliens, like so, there, there's the gray aliens right there. They're kind of like the, they have the big heads and the big black eyes, and they have no genitals, and they're not wearing clothing, and they have long skinny arms and skinny fingers and all that. And so there's like a, um, you know, people who have said that they have seen these creatures, these aliens. They all kind of describe almost exactly the same kind of creature. So. Here, though, is an interesting theory, at least, that I've heard about that, assuming they're seeing something that really is there and not imagining something in their brains, which is also possible. But let's say they are seeing something real, uh, like, they're, oh, wow, there's, there's these creatures. Here's, here's what I heard as a theory, and I think it's really possible, that these, that these creatures 
are not biological. They're actually robots. They're like basically, because in other words, the, the actual aliens, they really do live, you know, hundreds of millions of light years away. And they have the technology for these crafts, but it's more feasible for them to have these um, basically androids or robots that are humanoid in appearance. They have very large heads because they've got big brains, big computers in their heads. They don't have genitals because they're not biological. They don't wear clothing because, again, they're not really any kind of living thing. They're just sort of uh, bipedal robots. And they're sent on a mission. They, they do whatever they're going to do. And then they come back with whatever they're doing. So I just heard that as a theory recently. And I thought, that makes more sense to me than that they really are actually like aliens from another planet. I, I think that's plausible. But one, one of the things in the Roswell incident, there is a mortician who who helped recover some of the bodies that came out of the alleged craft that crashed at Roswell. Assuming and, that and it's he, real. <laughs> and, and well, uh, I mean, you know, and again, it's, it's hearsay. It's right. someone's, it's someone's, you know, account. Right. But, you know, allegedly the, the, the bodies were organic. That's what they said. Yeah. But what if those biological, sorry, oh, sorry Katie. But I mean, so maybe we would look at and identify it as biological, but like we can grow organs in, you know, with our technology, we can grow biological, but that doesn't mean, in other words, they could sort of grow, not using metal, but it could still be something where it's not them. Like the actual aliens don't look like that. Right. They, they, yeah, they created a, a, a life form for a specific function and purpose, but it isn't themselves. So I still think it could be biological and still not be the actual aliens. There's more than one alien group. So every possibility is. That's true. On the table here. That's right. So those of us who do read sci-fi, not Matt, do we have a favorite book or movie that we, Oh yeah. Informs you. What's yours, Keith? Um, Movie. I love the movie that came out a few years ago called arrival because it's all about communicating. I I love that. And then there's a, um, there's a book by a guy named Stanislaw Lem, and the book is called Solaris. The movie is great as well by Tarkovsky, uh, but it's on a similar theme, which is the idea that if we ever met a truly alien life form, it would be impossible for us to actually develop any kind of a language that we could communicate with them. And I think that's very fascinating, and I think that's very likely. We can't even con- we can't even communicate with dolphins or whales. These are also intelligent mammals on our own planet. We cannot communicate with them at all. I don't think we could communicate with another, a completely, truly alien life form that we've met completely in a different context. Uh, so anyway, that's I, I love those uh, that concept. I love Arrival, which is kind of on that theme, and, I, and the book Solaris is also great. Nice. I'll recommend Mary Doria Russell's The Sparrow. That's wonderful, and it's uh, it's it's very profound book. But the first humans to go to another planet are Jesuits. Uh, and so they bring their their very complex and thoughtful Jesuit theology to encounter these alien world, this alien world, and it's a um, just really wonderful book. So sounds like a horror story. Small small blocks. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Not not no, not those kind of Jesuits. These are the uh, the the, the, thought, the thoughtful, learned, you know, in school uh, for like fifteen years kind of Jesuits who have scientists <laughs> among them. Okay. All right. So before we transition, what's what the, for for those keeping score at home? Where where are we at on the uh, on the score? All card? right, Keith. Keith, oh, yes. Hang on, hang on for a second. I got to yeah. throw something in real quick oh, yeah, before yeah. you get to that movie. Oh yeah, twenty ten. Oh yeah, twenty ten. I haven't the movie twenty ten. That's my absolute favorite. And and then when it when it comes to books, 
Time is the Simplest Thing by Clifford Simak. I oh, highly nice. recommend. Interesting. Okay, we'll make sure we get these out too with episode. Matt, Matt, what are your what are, Matt? What are your recommendations for movies, science fiction movies, and books? Um, I, none. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. Um, I do like. I do like Arrival. Arrival was very fascinating. Yeah. I love the storytelling. Um, I thought the concept with was um, was really well thought out and mm. probably much more likely than any of the over the top Hollywood blow them up mm. apocalyptic movies. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I need yeah. the official count for aliens. So uh, alien conspiracy. Keith. Keith. All right. If you're gonna say specifically aliens like from another planet visiting this planet i'm probably not um but but again the ufos the, this the craft that we're seeing and experiencing and, and tracking on radar or whatever absolutely those are real i just kind of lean on it being it's us okay so you do believe that there's a conspiracy then that that's being i think there's a conspiracy yes uh, that aliens are created as a cons- to create a conspiracy to obscure the fact that we have this. Okay. Technology. A twist on the conspiracy. So yeah. And I'm, yeah, I'm pretty much right. in, like, no, I, I think we're just uh, experience, you know, I think if aliens have visited, I think we're experiencing them. I'm not convinced there's a cover up, but I'm oh. open to it, but not convinced. And then Derek, what about you? I believe, I believe that not only are aliens real, but I believe that they live amongst. Do you believe there's a conspiracy to cover them up? Uh, you know what, whether it's a conspiracy or not, you know, there, there's, there's a case to be made for that. But I think that, um, that if, if if they are sophisticated enough to cover light years of travel, hiding among humanity is no mean trick. So the conspiracy is from the aliens, not from our governments. Right. Yeah, pretty much. All right. We're just, I'm going to mark it down as a no, but with, but with, with <laughs> an asterisk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty certain that other life forms exist in, in the giant universe. I am very agnostic on whether they're here and whether the government has covered it up. I would not be surprised. However, I, even as credible as Lazar can be, I can't put um, a belief on something based purely on anecdotes when it comes to this. So I would, I guess, be a no, though it would not be a hill I would die on. Okay, so um, Matt's the most agnostic among us. Uh, I'm the most disbelieving in, cons- <laughs> in conspiracy theories, I think, uh, or Derek, Derek and I are kind of neck and neck. And Keith, you're you're kind of wholesale. Yeah, Keith is right. down the rabbit trail yeah. Yeah. all you the are. way. Maybe that should be my, 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 next, uh, my next podcast. <laughs> I want to go solo and do a conspiracy theory podcast. There you go. You and Eddie, okay. you and Eddie Bravo can get down go. on that. Oh, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, I'll say with the exception of Harp, though, none of these are really hills I would die on because I think they're fun to explore. Flat Earth, sure. flat Earth, come on. Sure. Oh, flat Earth. Sorry, I forgot about flat yeah. Earth. I managed to. I, I will die on yeah. that flat hill. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Uh, and just to bring that back full circle with uh, with the moon, uh, I thought, what would flat Earthers think about the moon landing? They they believe that the moon is a projection. I don't know what it's a projection of, but it's just a projection. So <laughs> I think they would be in on the conspiracy theory that that was a bro. The, mo- the moon doesn't even exist. Who, it doesn't even exist. Who changes, who changes the light bulb on the projector? Like, what if it goes out? Clear? Everybody knows the moon right. was created by Ralph Cramden, right? Um, yeah. I, I don't even know what that means, but that's going to somehow transition us oh, to the on. end. Uh, I just, I, I, we're going to keep going. To Don't the worry. Moon, Alice. We're going to gonna, we're gonna keep going on this Patreon stuff. However, I want to tell everyone that we have a website. Go check it out. HereticHappyHour.com. We've got a store. 
We've got all of our new episodes on there. We've even got a drinking game. Just tread lightly. Don't don't overdo it. And also come and join our Heresy After Hours group. It's free. It's for everyone. Um, no, uh, it's, a, it's a membership group for anyone who listens to the podcast. And you can also join in on the polls to see which of us are going to believe which conspiracy theories before you listen to the episode. And we have a conspiracy theory, obviously, to get Matt bumped up in those ratings. So come join us and do that. And then if you are a member of our Patreon group, we have a really awesome Patreon uh, Facebook group that's exclusive only for the patrons of the podcast. And we talk about all sorts of things. We'd love to interact with you. We do Facebook Live. So we'd love to see you in there too. Oh, yeah. Speaking of Patreon, by the way, this is where you get all the bonus extra goodies. I mean, we record extra footage, extra content, extra interviews. We are now even starting a new thing now. We've we've added some new tiers. We've rearranged some of our tiers. And... uh, so there's a $2 level that gets you into the Heretic Happy Hour uh, Facebook group. Um, we have a $10 level where you also get uh, PDFs of our books. Uh, $25 level, we are recording now weekly Zoom calls. Each of us, the four of us are taking turns uh, recording just bonus stuff that we didn't get to cover, uh, our, our thoughts about these different topics. And uh, we've already started doing that, by the way, and it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, and there's even a $100 level if you are like really rich and you really love us and we really love you. But thank you all for supporting us, all of you that support us on Patreon. We really appreciate it. Thank you. And if you like what you've heard today or you like the other podcasts that we've done, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us a good five-star rating. And remember that the Heretic Happy Hour uses advanced alien technology by which we're able to track what your rating is, whether you subscribe and whether you tell your friends. And if you don't, you might get a visit from an alien who will do an anal probe. (laughs) Hey now. Hey now. Oh my goodness. Yeah, no threats here. Come on, be nice. No threats. Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, it depends on who it is. (laughs) One man's threat is another man's treat. (laughs) That's a perk. (laughs) Bonus. 